Um, I know the Lord has something special in store for us as we study his words, and uh, the topic today is very near and dear to my heart. And so as we prepare to go into our study, I'm going to kneel for a word of prayer. And if you'd like to, you can kneel with me. And if you cannot kneel, just bow your heads where you are. But let's pray together as God prepares our hearts to receive the word. Our Father in heaven, we truly are grateful, Lord, for the blessing once again to be here on your holy Sabbath day of rest. We thank you for bringing us safely through another week. And Lord, we pray that even as we study together at this time, that you will send your Holy Spirit to do what that wonderful song said. Open our eyes, Lord. Help us to behold wondrous things out of your word. For this is our prayer that we do ask in the worthy and mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. I want us to turn our Bibles to the book of Revelation chapter 12. Revelation chapter 12. We're in Revelation, the 12th chapter. And whether you're familiar with this or not, most of us, I would imagine, are somewhat familiar with this. This is talking about a war that started in heaven. And the Bible spells it out where it says this, and this is a very important study what we're doing today because you're going to see it affects our time. It speaks to some of the crisis that our world is in today. But most importantly, it's going to also speak to us about what God wants us to do about it. And so it is that in Revelation 12, the Bible tells us the most startling statement in verse 7. It says in Revelation 12 and verse 7, and there was what in heaven? There was war. The Bible says there was war in heaven. And it says Michael and his angels fought against the dragon and the dragon fought and his angels and prevailed not. Neither was their place found anymore in heaven. And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world. He was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. The Bible declares that a war started in heaven. When you think of heaven, you do not think of war. You think of peace. But here it is that the Bible is very clear that a war took place. And when this war took place, there were two characters that were highlighted. The first one is very easy to identify, and that was none other than the devil and Satan. But the other character sometimes causes confusion in the world of religion, and that is none other than Michael. The very name Michael in the Hebrew, Michael, Mike is one who is like, El means God. So Michael is one who is just like God. If there's somebody in this room by the name of Michael, I encourage you to live up to your name. Michael, one who is like God. And the Bible declares that there was one who was like God, like the Father, in heaven. His name was Jesus. Michael, according to Bible prophecy, we did a whole YouTube on this. Um, if any of you want to go visit it, myself, my dear brothers, uh, Lance Wilbur, Ivor Myers, and then uh, dear sister Nefertiti, we had a whole program on YouTube, if you want to go through it, Who is Michael the Archangel? If you want to look that up, you could look that up, and you'll see it emphatically shows from the Bible that Michael is Jesus. In the beginning of time, Jesus and Satan are at war with each other. And I can assure you that God did not instigate this war. It didn't start with him. And so it is that the Bible makes it very clear that there was a war in heaven. And this war was between Christ and Satan. Now, I want you to watch this. The last thing we read in verse 9 of Revelation 12 was that Satan gets kicked out. He gets removed from heaven. And when he is removed, where did he land? 
He lands on earth. So now go down to verse 12 and let's see what the Bible says here. Knowing now that Satan has been removed from heaven and now has landed on earth, what does the Bible say to those of us who are on the earth? It says in Revelation 12, and now we're looking at verse 12, it says, Therefore rejoice ye heavens and you that dwell in them, but woe to the inhabitants of the earth and of the sea, because the devil is come down unto you, having great wrath, because he knows that he has a short time. Now, somebody may sooner or later say to themselves, so Satan is mad at me now. He has all this wrath towards me. And I remember being in elementary school. Can you imagine this? In public school, I'm basically a kid. And I remember that I'm walking through the hallway. And as I'm walking through the hallway, all of a sudden, I'm, I'm happy. I'm minding my business. And as I'm walking through the hallway, this guy just pushes me. And when he pushes me, he pushes me real hard. It wasn't like accidental or anything. This brother pushed me. And when he pushed me, I remember thinking to myself, looking at him, and he's like, yeah, you know, come on, let's go. And he wants to fight me. And I'm looking at him like, I don't know you. I've never met you. I don't even know who your mama and your daddy is. It's like, I know nothing about you. And yet here you are getting ready to start a fight with me. And it was kind of like, I didn't do anything to you. Why do you want to fight me? And he just simply said, because I just don't like you. And so at a young age, I started getting into fights. Just because somebody doesn't like you. Well, guess what? There is somebody who once lived in heaven that has come down to this earth. And he's made a decision to pick a fight with us. And it has nothing to do with anything that you did. But it has something very special to do with what went on in heaven. I want you to go ahead and turn your Bibles. You can go ahead and work on the computer if you need to. We'll just turn to the scripture. So I want you to go with me now to the book of Isaiah 63. And I want you to watch this. Isaiah 63. It is in Isaiah 63 that we begin to understand something about this war that took place in heaven and why, as it transitioned down on this earth, why you and I are now involved in this war. Remember, the war was between who? Christ and Satan. Isn't that right? The war was between Christ and Satan. But now who's brought into the war? Us. The question is, why? Isaiah 63. In Isaiah, the 63rd chapter, we actually find out why we are brought into this war. The Bible says in the book of Isaiah 63, we're going to head and to consider verse 8. In Isaiah, the 63rd chapter, I want you to see what the text says as we look at verse 8. If you're there, let me know by saying amen. amen. The Bible says in Isaiah 63 and verse 8, For he said, Surely they are my people, children that will not lie, so he was their Savior. So notice that this is talking about God. The last statement in verse 8 is that he was our what? Savior. So notice what the Bible says now in verse 9 about our Savior. It says in verse 9, in all their affliction. Who's the there? That's the people. It says in all their affliction, he was afflicted. Who's the he? That's the Savior. You see, parents understand this point very, very clearly. When a parent brings a child into the world, 
when somebody hurts our children, they're not just hurting our children. Who else are they hurting? They're hurting us too. Because our hearts are knit with our children. When our children are joyful, we are joyful. When our children are hurting and sorrowful, we are hurting and sorrowful. So it is with our heavenly parent. Jesus makes it very, very clear that he says, listen, when it comes to me, when you hurt my children, you're hurting me. And Satan knows this. And so the deep thing that I'm going to introduce to each of us is literally the great controversy is between Christ and Satan over his people. Don't lose that thought. The great controversy between Christ and Satan is over his people. Now, the reason why this is important is because, you know, when I used to, when I used to fall into my sins, and, and I'm not here to say that I don't fall into sin anymore, I still struggle like you do, but I, I have a new understanding now, a deeper understanding of what's going on when I fall into sin. You see, when I fall into sin, it is not so much that Satan looks down at me, because you know that I said fall. So if I fall into sin, it's not so much that Satan is looking down at me and saying, ha, ha, look what I did to you. What I realize is that the great controversy is between Christ and Satan over humanity. So it's not that when I fall into sin, Satan is looking down at me. When I fall into sin, it is as if Satan takes his foot and puts it over me in triumph and he looks up in Jesus's face and says, is this what you died for? Look what I'm doing with what you died for. Look with what I'm doing with what you made such a heavily investment in. Was this worth it? Look what I'm doing to him. And he throws it in Christ's face because he knows that it hurts the heart of Christ. You see, the target point of Satan has always been the same with Jesus. Go to Psalm 69. In Psalm the 69th division, it was always the same. Satan has a target point. He's an assassin like anybody else. And an assassin is a sharpshooter. They don't aim for legs and elbows and kneecaps. They aim for vital organs. That's what an assassin does. And Satan is an assassin. And every assassin must have a pinpointed target. So I want you to see what the Bible says. When we look at Psalm, the 69th division, did you know there was a target? There was a target that Satan was aiming for when he wants to break the heart of Christ. And here's what it says in Psalm 69, right there in verse 20. It's called a messianic psalm. Watch this. In Psalm 69 and verse 20, here's what the Bible says. It says, reproach. This is a messianic psalm. This is the Messiah speaking. Reproach hath broken my what? My heart. Reproach hath broken my heart, and I am full of heaviness. And I looked for some to take pity, but there was none. And for comforters, but I found none. This is the story of Jesus. There was something called reproach, and reproach broke the heart of Christ. And the Bible says that when Jesus was, while his heart was breaking, he was looking for pity, but he couldn't find anybody to have any pity. Can you imagine this? Can you imagine the suffering that Christ went through just so you and I could be saved? And that's why it's so tragic when we use our liberty to practice our sins. It is so tragic because it's the insult of insults to God. Jesus is saying at a time when I was suffering, not for his sins, but for yours and mine. And all he was looking for is there anybody that has pity on me? 
And the Bible says he couldn't even find not even one. And here it is that the text says that as Jesus was going through this, what was Satan's target point? His target point was the heart, wasn't it? That's what the verse said. And what was the tool that Satan used to attack the heart of Christ? It was called reproach. Reproach has broken my heart. Now, here's the question. What is reproach? Because it says very clearly, this is what Jesus died from. Please don't ever get this confused. He did not technically die from asphyxiation, as the scientists say. It's not limited to that. Jesus died from a broken heart. And the heart is what Satan was aiming after. And so now what I want you to see is what reproach is in Proverbs, the 14th chapter. Notice what the Bible says in Proverbs 14. In Proverbs, the 14th chapter, we're going to define reproach. The Bible says in the book of Proverbs, we're considering the 14th chapter. And now we're going to look at verse 34. We're going to let the scripture explain what reproach is, because this is what Satan used to break the heart of Christ. The Bible says in Proverbs 14 and verse 34, if you're there, please say amen. amen. It says righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a what? Reproach to any people. So when Satan wanted to take Jesus down, he said, the target I'm aiming for is his heart. The tool that he used to pierce his heart was sin. That's what reproach is. And so Satan knew if I can get the people to sin, it will break the heart of Christ. And that's why, my brothers and sisters, every time we sin, if you listen carefully, it's as if you can hear the nails piercing his hands afresh all over again. And can you imagine you and I have an opportunity to stop the pain that exists in Christ's heart? Can you imagine that we have an opportunity to literally stop the pain that breaks the heart of Christ? How do we do that? By no longer cooperating with the temptations that lead us to sin, but to cooperate with the righteous pulling and drawing of God and his grace that we can have victory over sin. In the beginning of time, there was a war in heaven. The war was between Christ and Satan. But the war transitioned locations. It's no longer in heaven. In other words, the war continues. But now the war is no longer in heaven, the war continues, but it's now on earth, and there's a third player in there, and that's you and I. And Satan knows every time I get the people to sin, it is as if I'm throwing another jab into the heart of Jesus. Now watch this. It is because of this that I would like to ask a question. How many of you want to continue hurting the heart of Christ? How many of us want to continue doing that? Okay, how many of us want to cease Hurting the heart of Christ. Could I see your hands? Oh, praise God. That's beautiful. You should see how beautiful you look. Just raising your hands like that. You look amazing. And you made heaven smile. God wants us to cease the pain. And we have an opportunity to cease that pain. We have an opportunity. Because guess what? Some of us in this room used to be drunkards. And we're not drunkards anymore. Some of us in this room used to be drug addicts. And we are not drug addicts anymore. Some of us used to have a foul mouth like a sailor right off the ship. And now some of us speak words of purity. Some of us used to be sex addicts. 
And now here we are faithful to the only one that we now discovered is worthy of our love and worthy of this temple called God's body. And guess what? If God gave you power to overcome one sin, he can give you power to overcome all sin. I know of no sin that is so powerful that even Jesus can't deliver you from it. Please inform me if you know of one. But what it does mean is that we're going to have to fight very intelligently. And that's why we need to pray, because what I'm going to show you today, it is not a mystery to me of why we're having technical problems, because today is going to be a key of how we can overcome. And that's why I'm going to pause and we're going to pray, because I assure you, should by God's grace, we're able to get what needs to be gotten on the screen. You're going to see why the devil don't want us to know this. So let's pause for a word of prayer just so we can ask for God's help while we have our human help helping us out. Father in heaven, Lord, I know you put this message together, but Lord, we need your help. Just up until last night, this stuff worked perfectly. And now we're having all these challenges. Lord, I pray that you will please intervene. Give my brothers the wisdom that they need. Give them whatever it is that they need. And if it be your will, Lord, that you want us to go forward and to put this presentation on the screen, intervene and let everything come together as it needs to. I'm trusting you, Lord, to let your will be done. So, so let it be done even now. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, here it is that as we are looking at what God wants. Absolutely. As we are looking at what God wants, the Bible is very clear. War started in heaven. War transitions on earth. The war is still between Christ and Satan, but now we're brought in the middle of it. The reason we're brought in the middle of the war is because every time Satan hurts us, who is he hurting? He's hurting the heart of Christ. That's why we're brought in. So now, what does the Bible tell us to do? It said, whoa, but God gives us more than a warning. He tells us what else to do. What else he wants us to do is in 1 Peter chapter 5. So now let's go to 1 Peter 5. When we look at 1 Peter chapter 5, we're now looking at more carefully what God would have us to do. Knowing that we're in a war, knowing that we're in this battle, now we're looking at 1 Peter and we're considering chapter 5. God makes a point very clear that I think we all can appreciate. Now that we know that we're in the world and that the enemy of souls is after us, it, this verse makes all the sense in the world, doesn't it? 1 Peter 5 and verse 8. The Bible says in the book of 1 Peter 5, and we're considering verse 8, when you get there, just let me know by saying amen. All right. So the Bible says in 1 Peter 5, in verse 8, be what? Sober. Be sober. And then also be vigilant. Why? Because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walks about seeking whom he may devour. So the Bible is very clear. Because the devil has come down unto us having great wrath, the Bible likens him to a lion. And the Bible says, like a roaring lion, he's walking around seeking whom he may devour. So here it is that the Bible is very clear that this is what Satan is trying to do. He's walking around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Therefore, God says, be sober and be vigilant. Now, the question is how? You know, I, I learned as a parent, I'm the father of a 23, 22, 21, and 20-year-old. So a brother's been through it, and I got a lot of experience on some things. And what I can say is this. One thing is for sure. 
It is not enough to tell a child, behave yourself. Behave yourself. Behave yourself. You and I must model what behave yourself looks like. You got to spell it out. You got to be definitive. You got to speak with specificity. You have to do that. And so if I tell my child, behave yourself, what I mean is, when I ask you to sit down, I don't want to repeat myself. When I say, please sit down, I want that to be the last time I have to say that. I'm teaching them how to follow the command immediately. There's a story of a man who was walking through the jungle with his son. And in this jungle, they had leaping snakes, snakes that would jump from one tree to the next, and they were exceedingly venomous. And the story goes that the father and the son were walking, and the father was a little bit behind his son. The son was in front of him. So as the son is walking in front, the father couldn't help but to notice. I'm sure it was the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God moved upon him, and he looked up, and he saw a snake coiled up in position as if it's about to jump. When the father saw that, it was as it were the snake began to leap, and it was leaping right towards the direction of his son. The father could only say one word to his son. You know what the father said? Duck! All the father said is duck. Now, if that son would have been like some young people today and would have been like, why? <laughs> then you, you already know the rest of the story. He would have said duck. Son would have said, watch. And the next thing you know, he gets hit by the snake and that brother drops dead right in the jungle. But do you know this boy was so obedient? He had like Isaac type obedience, right? You know, he had Isaac level obedience. So he, the father said duck and immediately... He just ducked. He just followed the voice of his father. You know what happened? That snake whew, flew right over him and his life was saved. Young people, you got to learn how to not have your parents always repeat themselves. There are times that when father and when mother say, do this, you need to say yes, mom and yes, dad. Because not only does it work out for earth, it works out for heaven. Because every time I read the Bible, every time God had to repeat himself, sooner or later, trouble came on the people. Well, here it is that God wants us to understand. We're living in a time that as a father, I've learned, man, it's not enough to just tell my children. I need to show them. I need to model what does this look like and walk them through it. And so when the Bible says be sober and be vigilant, it's not enough just to say that. We have to understand what does that mean. So now let's go to 1 Peter 1. In 1 Peter chapter 1, now we can understand a little bit more about what does this mean. We have arrived at a place in our study where we saw that there was a great controversy that started in heaven. The great controversy was between Christ and Satan. But it transitioned down to this earth because the devil was cast out. And as it transitioned down to this earth, the Bible is very clear. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and of the sea because the devil has come down unto you having great wrath because he knows that he has but a short time. We ask ourselves the question, Lord, why is it that he's coming after us? After all, we did not pick a fight with him. And yet we find ourselves in the middle of a battle. And here it is that the Bible lets us know that in this battle, we found that the reason Satan chose to fight against us was simply because every time he hurts us, he hurts the heart of Christ. So Satan's true satisfaction is not hurting us. It's hurting Christ. 
It's just that we play a role as to whether we increase Jesus's pain or we decrease it. And this is where cooperation comes in. And so in seeking, Lord, how can I know better how to cooperate with you? Now we learned, oh, well, God says, be sober and be vigilant because your adversary, the devil, like a roaring lion, walks about seeking whom he may devour. And we wanted to know, okay, well, how do I do that? Because we learned the lesson from parenthood that sometimes it's not enough to tell a child what to do, but you have to show them how to do what you want them to do. And so it is. We are now at first Peter chapter one in first Peter, the first chapter we learn the lesson of how God wants us to understand this battle better. In 1 Peter 1, what does the Bible say as it relates to how God wants us to address this? Bring the slide back if you don't mind. Yeah, that's good, right there. So notice now, in 1 Peter 1 and verse 13, let us notice what the Bible says. 1 Peter chapter 1, and we're looking at verse 13. The Bible says, wherefore... Gird up the loins of your mind and be what? Sober. Notice that. Gird up the loins of your mind and be sober and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. What is connected to being sober is girding up the loins of your mind or guard well the avenues of your soul. The way that we cooperate with Jesus so that we can decrease the pain is God says, be sober by guarding what you let in your mind. Protect your head, protect your mind, because a mind is a terrible thing to waste. God wants us to understand that there's a cooperation in the gospel. We do not believe in a gospel, true Protestants, true Bible believers. We do not believe in a gospel where God does everything and we do nothing. We do not believe in a gospel where we do everything and then we ask God for help when we feel like it. True righteousness by faith has always been and always will be cooperation between divinity and humanity. God gives the power, we yield and allow that power to work out in our lives. What God says is, knowing that that devil is coming after you and coming after me, the Bible says, be sober. And the way that you're sober is you got to guard what you let in your mind. You see, all these several weeks since New Year's started, at Open Door, we've been talking a lot about health. And the gospel, because contrary to popular opinion, health and the gospel go hand in hand. And what we have learned is that God wants us to be of a true blessing and benefit to those in our community. And the more that you can help people in very real, practical ways is the more open they're going to be to the gospel message you give. And we've been looking at disease and its causes and all these things over these several weeks. But one of the things that God wants us to understand is Satan is aiming after people's minds. And if you look at the mental health statistics that are in our world today, it is alarming. Peace of mind, unfortunately, is a rare thing. And here it is that in John 14, Jesus says, peace, I leave with you. My peace I give unto you. 
Not as the world gives, give I unto you. Therefore, let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. So there's a peace that passes all understanding that Jesus left for every single one of us to grab it at will. But to receive Jesus' peace, we must be willing to receive Jesus. We cannot receive his peace if we're not going to receive him. And that's why when I look at mental health and all of these issues that we see in our world today, one of the first areas where the church can play a very serious role is helping people to learn what it is to surrender their hearts and their lives to the Lord Jesus Christ. I believe that God has given to his church a solution to the mental health crisis that we see throughout the land. You see, if we carefully follow inspiration, right? Oh, uh, this is not working back there. All right. So then go ahead, hit the slide for me if it's not working. Nope, it's not working. So just go ahead and hit the slide or give me the other clicker if you don't mind. I want you to see this. There's a quote that came right after this slide. Let's see if it comes up. There it is. So notice this. Satan is the originator of disease. We studied that last week. Satan is the originator of disease. Sickness of the mind prevails where? Everywhere. Everywhere. Now, look. At, let's do some math real quick. Nine-tenths of the diseases of which men suffer have their foundation here. So when we look at the diseases of which men and women are suffering throughout our world, what number or what percentage is nine-tenths? 90% of the diseases that men and women are suffering in our world have their foundation in the mind. And this is the reason why, once again, as we learned last week, we learned that sin, if you were not here last week, please review the message from last week. Go to Open Door on YouTube, subscribe, and then look at the message that was preached last week, February 5th. And you will see that we showed the root cause of disease according to the best medical book the world has ever had. It's the Bible. And we showed that sin is the cause of disease. That means that the church can play a role in mitigating the spread of disease by bringing the message of salvation from sin. So what we now are looking at is that 90% of the diseases of which men and women suffer, they actually have their foundation in the mind. And this is why more than anything else, when the church wants to minister to its congregants, when we want to minister to God's people, what should really be heavy on the leadership's mind is what is the state of the mind of the members of the church? How are they doing emotionally, mentally, etc.? Because we all know how to put on the, 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 the happy Sabbath face. You know what I'm talking about, right? You know, we'll be in the car arguing and fighting each other. You know, no, you wrong. No, you wrong. And then no, you wrong. And then you pull up in the driveway and it's like, look, we got to put on the happy Sabbath face. All right. Okay. And then we go inside a church. Hey, happy Sabbath, friend. And we put on the happy Sabbath face, right? And then when church is over, and then we get back in the car, and then we get a little bit away from the church. All right, right back where we were before, and we start arguing again. God says, listen, that's not what I want. I don't want you to become great actors and actresses. God says, I want you to know what abiding peace is like that it can even enter your home. It could enter your marriage. It could enter your friendship and your relationships. What Jesus is saying is, I want you to be acquainted with real peace. But we have to understand, Satan's attacking point is the mind. Now watch. It says, perhaps some living home trouble is like a canker eating to the very soul and weakening the life forces. It says, remorse for sin sometimes undermines the constitution and unbalances the mind. 
What do you think is a solution for remorse for sin? What do you think is a solution if somebody's battling with remorse for their sins? This is why a lot of people, you know, a, a woman uh, maybe had rela sexual relationships in her times past, and maybe she made a decision like having an abortion. Today she learns about thou shalt not kill, etc., etc., and she feels guilty. She has remorse for her sins. And here it is that it seems like she cannot forgive herself. Does the church have a remedy for this? It's the amazing grace of God. That's when we can let them know, listen, if God can forgive David, if God can forgive Israelites who offered their children to Molech, a pagan god on fire, if God can forgive those people, please convince me why God cannot forgive you, especially when you have such a repentant heart. Remorse for sin. The church has an answer to that, and no drugs are required. Not only that, watch this one. Let's see. Am I doing it right? All right, hit the slide. This is not working. There are erroneous doctrines. Now, I know this firsthand. I was studying with a brother yesterday who believed in predestination. And there are erroneous doctrines also as that of an eternally burning hell and the endless torment of the wicked that by giving exaggerated and distorted views of the character of God have produced the same results upon sensitive minds. There are some people that as a result of believing false doctrines are going out of their minds. Predestination is one of the most demonic doctrines in the world of Christianity. To believe that God predetermines, pre-chooses against anybody's will who's going to be saved and who's going to be lost. That some people are literally made to be lost. You have no idea how devilish a doctrine that is. Because now what's going to happen is you're going to have certain people that says, man, I've been trying to live right. I've been trying to overcome my evil habits. I've been trying to overcome my wrongdoings. And I guess it just seems like I can't overcome. Then somebody comes along and says, did you know that there are some people that God created just to be destroyed? And that person hears that. And you know what that person thinks? Oh, I must be one of them. Because I've been trying so hard to live right and I can't live right. And now I discovered a doctrine that teaches that God actually makes people to be lost and be vessels of wrath. Brothers and sisters, that's a demonic doctrine, but it's super hyper popular in Christianity. It's commingled with the Calvinistic teachings of once saved, always saved. And our Baptist brothers and sisters are the number one group that goes forward teaching these things. Again, they might do it innocently, they might do it ignorantly, but the doctrine, not the people, but the doctrine is very demonic. And so it is, what does the church do? The church brings Bible truth. We present the right image of God. We let people know that God created every man and every woman with something called free will. And no matter how far you've lived in sin, if you're willing to surrender your heart to Jesus, God can turn your whole life around and recollect you as not a sinner, but a saint in his eyes. That is good news. And a lot of people need to hear that. And so, again, some people are going through mental health decline because of foul and false doctrine. And so it says uh, 
Infidels have made the most of these unfortunate cases, attributing insanity to religion, but this is a gross libel and one which they will not be pleased to meet by and by. The religion of Christ, so far from being the cause of insanity, is one of its most effectual remedies, for it is a potent soother of the nerves. So notice that the devil is aiming for your mind. And family, this is why I can't tell you, this is why I'm glad to be part of a church that actually says, be careful what you read. I'm glad to be part of a church that takes the time to teach, hey, be careful what you watch for entertainment. I'm glad to be part of a church that says, listen, be mindful of what you're indulging in in the world of social media. I'm glad to be part of a church that cares enough about the people to approach the gospel in a very practical way. I meet people all the time that are saying, I'm struggling in my walk with God. I have these habits that control my life. I keep finding myself falling in sin. And when you investigate their lives, they're indulging in things that they're not protecting their minds. And it's as it were, they're letting the devil in. If you really want peace of mind, beloved, if you really want joy that is unspeakable, peace that passes all understanding, and if you want to have that elevated thought, you're going to have to be careful about what you let in your head. You're going to have to be more scrutinizing about what you're watching, what you're listening to, what you're doing. You see, the avenues of the soul is what you're eating, what you're watching, what you're listening to, what you're smelling, and what you're touching. These are all avenues that lead to the mind. What you touch can affect your mind. What you smell can affect your mind. What you see can affect your mind. What you listen to can affect your mind. I'm going to be honest with you, beloved. Many of God's people. You know, we put up these, uh, these posts, Instagram, Facebook, and the rest, and we're playing music that's sensual, um, you know, we're, we're dancing and swinging our bodies around and all these things. And, and, and what I'm saying, family, is you could be opening a gateway that you're not going to like the end results of what comes through that gate. You want to be careful about what you're exposing yourself to. Because the devil is always on the same job. Steal, kill, destroy. Steal, kill, destroy. Steal, kill, destroy. That's always his mission. And he knows the best way he can accomplish it with you and with me is get in your head. Get, change the way you think. If he can change the way we think, it is limitless what he can do with his power. And that's why the Bible says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. You see, the, the, the security of life, the security of your happiness is finding out and in receiving more and more of the mind of Christ. Finding out, how did Jesus think? How did he reason? How did he do all these things? Now, even though this is several weeks of study, there's one very particular point that I want to talk about today. Let's go to our next slide. When we look at the amount of depression that is in the world, tell me Satan is not having success attacking minds. What, is the, what does the quote say? Go ahead, put it up the slide for us, please. And I want you to watch this. What's depression? Now, and when we're talking about the statistics of depression, we're not talking about in, a, in adults, even though it's there. I want you to see a more alarming fact. Go ahead and hit the next slide, please. April 22nd, 2019, adolescent depression is on the rise. This is from the National Institute of Health, NIH. It says, National Institute of Health reports that about 3.2 million, 
12 to 17 year olds have had at least one major depressive episode within the past 12 months. Parents, this is why I plead with you, work out your differences. We have no idea what a child goes through when they have to watch. One day I used to see my dad all the time and I don't see him anymore. One day I used to see my mom all the time, now I don't see them anymore. I'm not saying don't divorce. I'm not saying any of those things. Maybe there's some biblical reasons that some of you may have to get divorced. But what I'm saying is, is you want to make sure beyond any shadow of a doubt that if it goes there, it's because it absolutely unequivocally had to. But we are to do everything possible to avoid because some of the reasons why some of the young people are going through this is because of what's going on between mom and dad. And that's why, parents, you have double reason to fight. You have reasons to fight for your marriage. You fight for your marriage because you love your husband and you love your wife and you made a covenant to love them till death do you part. Fight for your covenant. Number two, it's for the honor and it's for the glory of God. The world already has horrific divorce statistics and marriage statistics and the rest. We want to give a better representation. If God is so big and so real, why is it so difficult for him to overcome the problems in the marriage? Number three, for the children's sake. For the precious children's sake. I'm trying to help you understand there's a reason that you're seeing this rise in depression. There's a reason for it. And parents, to a large degree, not completely, but to a large degree, we can play a role in helping to decrease these statistics. But it's going to mean overcoming some of that pride and some of that selfishness and some of those other issues that we know we battle with. Let's go to the next slide, because it's not just depression. It's suicide. If a young person stays depressed long enough, it can actually turn into the worst conclusion. Let's notice the statistic. Can you put it up there for us? I want you to watch this. What, what's happening in the world of suicide amongst our youth? Again, 2019 suicide rates for 15 to 19 year olds and those between 20 and 24 are at their highest level since 2000. It's increasing family. And I'm not here to tell you, oh yeah, none of these kids went to church. No, many of them did. Many of them come from church environments because we forgot something. Your safety is not in the church building. Your safety is in Christ. It is possible to come to church and not be in Christ. There's a big difference. It's as different as night is from day. And so the reality is, it says suicides among teens have especially spiked with an annual percentage change of 10 percent between 2014 and 2017 for 15 to 19 year olds, researchers said. It's really an unprecedented surge. So this thing is just going up and going up and going up. Now, here's another group that I want to talk to. Go ahead and put up the next slide. This group right here, it involves my brothers. Unfortunately, men, <laughs> we think, some of us, that it's not manly to ask for help when you really need help. And I'm from the black community, and I'm especially going to tell you, this is a plague amongst black men. This is a very big issue amongst black men. It might be amongst Korean and Slavic, because I see many nationalities here, but I know for sure this is a very big issue in the black community. Brothers are going through terrible stuff, and we don't want to say anything because it's not cool. It's not cool to tell people, I'm going through depression, and I'm going through this. We, we, we have to hide it, right? 
Look at the statistics. Go ahead and put it up. Mental health among men. Did you know while mental illnesses affect both men and women? Oh, this is so sad. What happened is when I took the slides off of my computer and switched it to PowerPoint, it changed the format. So you're not able to see the whole quote. But you should see the statistics of what's happening amongst God's men. What this shows here, you can go to the next slide because this slide kind of brings it across as well. Go ahead. The male mental health crisis gap. So notice, of all suicides in 2017, 75% were male. 75% were men, right? Then it says, they say things like, I don't wish to burden anyone. anyone. I'm, 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 I'm kind of telling on you, brothers, for real, but not to tell on you to expose you. I'm telling this on you to say, hey, please consider otherwise. Don't allow yourself to fall into this trap. You're not a burden. People call me all the time, pastor, I'm sorry to bother you. I'm like, you're not a bother. I'm a pastor. I don't know what other kind of pastors you dealt with, but I'm a pastor. And pastors avail themselves for the sheep. If I start getting bothered because you're calling me, I need to stop being a pastor. Are you following that? So away with this thought of I'm burdening you. Now, if you call me every 15 minutes within 24 hours, then we got to talk, you know, and we can work through that. We can work through that. But you're not a bother simply because you're calling me more than once or more than twice or more than three times. You need help? That's what we're here to do. And I'll let you know if I'm available or not, and so should other pastors. But here's the bottom line. What do they say? I don't wish to burden anyone. That's something some brothers say. Two, uh, I don't want to appear weak. That's a big issue with guys, you know, macho. You know what I'm saying? I can't appear weak. Nonsense. Then it says, I've learned to deal with it. That's terrible because now you're learning to live without peace. God says, I don't want that for you. God says, you think I want that for you? God says, of course not. He says, I want you to have peace. Don't learn to deal with this. Learn to overcome it. Go to Revelation 3. You see, in Revelation 3, this principle is true, not just for spiritual battles. This principle is true for mental, emotional battles as well. Revelation 3. I'm telling you, when I, when I read the Bible, I look at the Bible as a medical book. I encourage you to do the same. You'd be amazed at what is in this book that can help us. In Revelation chapter 3, here's what the Bible says. This is my principle. This is my principle of life by the grace of God. In Revelation 3 and verse 5, what does the text say? It says in Revelation 3 and verse 5, it says, He that what? Aha. He that overcomes the same shall be clothed in white raiment. And I will not blot out his name out of the book of life, but I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. Now, this blessing comes to those who what? Overcome. Never, ever learn to deal with it. Never, ever learn to live with it. Don't ever get so satisfied with whatever your condition is. Listen, I don't know. I mean, Jesus told a woman one time, according to your faith, be it unto you. But did you know the book Medical Ministry, page 12, says the Holy Spirit can renew every organ of the body? In other words, God can do whatever he wants if we believe and if we trust. Now, if God chooses not to, there's divine loving reasons why he chose not to. But some of us, we are missing out on blessings because we're not exercising enough faith. That's another side to the story that we, some of us need to investigate more. Don't learn to deal with it. Do everything you can to overcome it. Why not? If you got a problem, 
No, we're not going to learn to live with it. By his grace, I'm going to find out how to overcome it. You deal with it as you're seeking to overcome it, but seek to see how can we overcome this. If we had more of this attitude in marriages, we'd have more saved marriages. If we had more attitudes like this when it comes to parenthood, we'd see a lot better relationships between son and daughter and mother and fathers and, and their children. Sometimes you got to have an attitude of push. you got to have an attitude of fight. Because the devil loves to mess with our heads. But look at this point right here. 40% of men won't even talk to anyone. Nope, can't say anything. Mm -mm. And don't get me wrong. You, you don't tell anyone your business. You talk to people who have shown themselves that they're trustworthy. You talk to people who have shown themselves that they are qualified. But there's a lot of men that sometimes we need to talk to people and admit we need some help. Okay? Let's go ahead. Next slide. Now, as I said, there are many weeks of study that we could do on this. But what is Satan's chief target to get access to the mind? What does he use? Because remember, there's many avenues to the soul. What we taste, what we smell, what we see, what we hear, and what we touch. There are many ways, many avenues that Satan gets to the mind. And the Bible said, guard well the avenues to your mind. So, what do you think is Satan's chief target point or chief means of getting to the mind? Let's watch it. Go ahead, next slide. Watch this, first one. Genesis 3 and verse 6. For God doth know that in the day you eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened and you shall be as God's knowing good and evil. What's the next one? Go ahead. Daniel 1, 5 through 8. And the king appointed them a daily provision of the king's meat and of the wine which he drank, so nourishing them three years, that at the end thereof they might stand before the king. But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's meat, nor the wine which he drank. Again, what do we see? Next slide. Oh, next uh, quote. Go ahead. Matthew 4, 1 to 3. Then was Jesus led up of the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. And when he fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was afterward in hunger. And when the tempter came to him, he said, if thou be the son of God, command that these stones be turned into bread. What do we see is Satan's chief method of attack or accessing the mind? Appetite. Appetite. So even though we have to guard what we're listening to, even though we have to guard what we smell, even though we definitely have to guard what we see, and even though we definitely have to guard what we touch, Satan's first mode of operation of getting access to the mind is right there at your dinner table. He's going after you. It's the appetite. That's what he's going after. Now, please understand, remember, food does not save you and food does not cause you to be lost. Food is an indication of how much we are cooperating or not cooperating with God. Are you following that? I want to be clear on that. There's no fruit, grain, nut, or vegetable that can save you. We are saved by grace, period. But in cooperation with God, knowing that we want to decrease that pain, God says, I need you to cooperate with me better. Satan's going after your mind. Disease is prevalent everywhere. 
And there is a direct correlation between what we're putting in our mouths and how it affects the mind. Let me know if you're able to get that next slide up. Watch this. Watch this. Did you know in inspiration there's a demon of appetite? In General Conference Bulletin, page 290, there's a demon of appetite. Go ahead and pull up the slide there. Watch this. God sees that sin has debased and degraded man, but he looks upon him with pity and compassion, for he sees that Satan has him in his power. The demon of appetite in the intoxicating cup has robbed thousands of their reason, but still the Lord draws, draws, draws. And then the question is asked, who will draw with God, seeking to set in operation a restoring power that will obtain the mastery over sin? You see, right now, it is our lust of appetite that's taking a lot of people down. It is the intoxicating drink. It is the indulgence in foods that debilitate the mind. You see, go to the next slide and watch this. When we deal with the question, does food really affect the mind? The answer is emphatically yes. It is. And let's watch how it's so. Go ahead. The Bible says in Proverbs 37 through 9 and 31, 4 through 5, Two things have I required of thee, deny me them not before I die. It says, remove far from me vanity and lies. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with food convenient for me, lest what will happen? Lest I be full and deny thee and say, who is the Lord? So can I eat in a way that can cause me to be so full that I could end up denying God and question who he is? Yes. What does drinking say in Proverbs 31? four and five. Notice what it says here. And you can pull that up once it comes back up. In Proverbs 31, it is not for kings, O Lemuel. It is not for kings to drink wine, nor for princes strong drink, lest they drink. And then what happens? They forget the law. So can we eat and can we drink in ways that can cause us to sin and forget God's law? The answer is yes. So again, and remember, what is the chief tool that Satan uses to get us to buy into it, to hurt the heart of Christ. It is sin. And so what God is saying is, is that cooperation with God actually gets down so practical that it even involves how you go about eating and drinking. Again, no food group that saves you. I want to be clear on that. But we must acknowledge, and I don't know how many of you have ever been drunk before. You ever been drunk and then try to serve God? Doesn't work. I remember one time when I was dancing for Brandy, the R&B artist Brandy, and I was on tour with Brandy. And when I was on tour with her, I remember we were on tour on the tour bus and we were in London. And here it is that I'm with Brandy and I'm really excited. And, you know, I, I was actually I'm, I'm going to let you in on this. I was actually a brand new baptized Seventh Day Adventist Christian. I didn't leave the entertainment industry when I first, first got baptized in 1992. So literally, I got a phone call. They said, Dwayne, we'll pay you all these thousands of dollars. And I got weak and I sold out on God. And I went on that tour. And I'm with all the R&B and hip hop artists and everything. And I'm making all this money, yes, but I'm selling out on God. And I remember I had a book that was my favorite book. It was called Bible Readings for the Home, 300 Topics in Question and Answer Form. I gave Brandy one of those copies. 
Yeah, praise God, right? Even, even in my foolishness, God could still use me to do that. But I remember being on the tour bus, and I remember that we had a Bible discussion, and Brandy was like, pianos don't belong in the church, and, and we were kind of going back and forth on it. And so as we were talking, I remember I said, well, let me show you what the Bible says. And I started looking at the Bible, and it's a true story, the words started moving. And I was like, um, it says, hold on for a second. And I'm like, all right, give me a second. You know what was happening? They were smoking weed inside of the bus. So the bus is filled with the smoke of marijuana. So literally, I'm getting high. And as I'm getting high, I'm just like, hold on. Um, <laughs> you know, you start giggling for no reason. It's like all this stuff started happening to me. I was getting high, but I was sincerely trying to glorify God. You see, when the mind gets altered, it can twist our understanding of basic, simple teachings from the word. And Satan knows this, and that's why he says, you can come to church all you want, because that doesn't save anybody. But if we're really going to cooperate with Jesus, then Jesus says, I want you to start protecting your mind. Be careful of what you're eating and drinking and listening to and all these other things. And now we're talking about appetite, because what we eat can impact our minds. Now watch this. Next slide. And I'm going to wrap it up soon. You've been sitting down so patiently. And I know, you know, we know what happened in the middle of this, but just a few more. Harvard University put out a beautiful article, like an expensive car. Anybody know anything about expensive cars? You know, German cars and some of these other vehicles. Very expensive vehicles. Now watch this. It says, like an expensive car, your brain functions best when it gets only premium fuel. Then it says, eating high quality foods that contain lots of vitamins, minerals, and antioxidants nourishes the brain and protects it from oxidative stress, which is the waste of free radicals, produced when the body uses oxygen, which can damage cells. So when we eat food that's nutritious, our hardware, next slide, you'll notice that your hardware, your brain nerves, it works better. That's why many of the elements, when God made man out of the dust of the ground, notice, many of the elements from the dust is found in man, and magnesium, phosphorus, calcium, etc. And this is why we should choose foods that come from a root system. It, it's actually sensible. Because we come from the soil, and our body is made up of a lot of this stuff, magnesium, phosphorus, calcium, calcium potassium, that's why it's sensible that we should eat food that comes from a root system. It provides our body and our brain nerves what it needs to operate at optimum level. Now watch this. Go ahead to the next slide. This wonderful little book, Ministry of Healing, says this. Go ahead. The body is the only medium through which the mind and the soul are developed for the upbuilding of character. Hence, it is that the adversary of souls directs his temptations to the enfeebling and degrading of the physical powers. His success here means the surrender to evil of the whole being. The tendencies of our physical nature, unless under the dominion of a higher power, will surely work ruin and death. So Satan knows the more that he can get us to damage our bodies, it's going to debilitate our minds. And then when heaven speaks to us, we're not going to be able to properly understand and apply and live out. Are you following that? This is how this thing goes down, okay? I don't know if any of you ever tried to preach to a drunk person. It doesn't work. When a person is inebriated, and you're trying to say, now let's do a Bible study, they're going to see, they're going to see verses moving. 
is not going to work. First, the mind has to get sober. That's why God said, be sober. And then you can hope to the end and do all the other things. Now watch this. Go ahead to the next slide. I'm moving quick. Always remember, your brain is like a hard drive. Your mind is like software. Therefore, when you take care of your body, because you're going to see in closing, we can't even keep God's law except our mind be in a good condition. But in order for your mind to be in a good condition, you have to take care of the hardware. As it's true in the world of computers, it is true when it comes to taking care of God's body. The more we protect the hardware by giving the body what it needs is the easier it is for the software, the mind to work and do what it has to do. Continuing. Go ahead. Yes, go ahead. This is why the Bible says, thou will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed upon thee, because he trusts in thee. Or when it says, next one, and be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your I want you to see why the Bible talks so much about the mind, because the great controversy is between Christ and Satan over the human mind. Because whoever has the mind has the man. If Satan has your mind, we will do his will. If God has our mind, we will do his will. One of the avenues that Satan uses to get us broken down is appetite. The avenue God wants to use to build us up is appetite. Now let's go ahead. One more. My son, do you know that's, that's what God wants more than anything else? He wants your mind. My son, give me your mind and let your eyes observe my ways. And so I want you to watch this. Let's bring it to a close. Go ahead. Oh, I love this. Look at this conclusion. This is where food and, and our, our walk with God comes together. The food we eat gets broken down to blood. That blood is what produces the health of our brain. Our brain is what houses our thoughts. Our thoughts is what produces our actions. Our actions repeated is what forms our characters and our characters determine our destiny. This is the connection that God wants us to see. It's a very important connection. And that's why, as I said last week, can you imagine that we are privileged, many of us, I know not all of us, but hey, you have an opportunity because it's an open door. Do you know it's a beautiful thing to think that God cares so much about us that he says, I even care about how you eat and drink because he says, if you eat right and if you drink right, it's going to put your mind in a better position to more clearly hear my voice and follow me whithersoever I go. That's the connection. Now let's go ahead and go through it. Next slide. Here's a principle to always remember. Always remember. In the gospel, there's two things God wants to do. The first thing is redemption. When you think of redemption, you think about buying back something. This is purely divine, and we play no part in redemption. God buys us back. But contrary to popular opinion, God wants to do more than just redeem us. He wants to do the next step, which is restoration. Restoration is to return back to the original. 
This is a commingling of divinity plus humanity. So whenever you think of the plan of salvation, always remember this picture. Remember the two things God wants to do, not one. First, he wants to redeem us. That is wholly his work. But then he wants to restore us. In the restoration work, we have to cooperate. Part of the restoration work is cooperating with what God says. He says it, he gives power, we yield, we obey. And God performs miracles. And we become more made into the likeness and the image of God. Today, we're talking about appetite. That's a method of cooperation. And you know, I believe that I have a living example of redemption and restoration in my own home and in my own heart. Because my beloved son, Caleb, one day he came to me and he said, Dad, could I get some money? I want to purchase something. And I want to show you what he purchased. So can we go to the next slide? And I, I sure hope they show it. Yeah, man, look at that. That's what this boy brought on my property. And when we looked at that, I was thinking to myself, I said, Caleb, what are you doing? And, you know, he's very ambitious from a youth. My son knew how to work with his hands. He was very, very skilled with his hands. And he was able to take this car, which is a Mustang. And, you know, Mustangs are known to be muscle cars. And they're known to be something that, you know, looks good, sounds amazing, and is definitely fast on the road. And so he said, Dad, I want to get this thing. So the first thing he does is he redeems it, right? Buys it back. It was gone, but now it's his. So he buys it and he brings it in. But how good would this be on the road? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? This is not going to work. So what does, what does Caleb have to do now? Caleb has to move from just simply, you know, redeeming a product. But now he has to do the next slide. And what does the next slide show? The next slide shows restoration. To know that my guy was able to take that big hunk of junk and to work feverishly on this thing. Blood, sweat, tears, money, etc. And here it is that now this is what he was able to do. Do you know, Caleb, that that car is a reminder of the gospel? That car is always to remind you, son, that God is saying, listen, it was a wreck. And you know what I love about it? That wrecked up car, that's us, isn't it? We're a wreck. We're not, so, we're not only wrecked, we are wretched. Miserable, poor, blind, and naked. That, that's our condition. But what does God do? God begins to not, he didn't just buy us back. He said, oh no, I'm not done with you yet. I got you back. But he says, I'm not through yet. I'm going to restore my image in you. I'm going to bring you back to the original. You see, when you look at that car, that looks exactly how that Mustang is supposed to look. And that's exactly what God wants to do with you and I. He says, no, no, no. He says, you think you're all right now. He says, no, I haven't finished redeeming. E I haven't finished restoring Eden in the heart of each and every one of you as my children. But you know what Caleb had to do? He had to pay attention to the details. He couldn't just say, look, I'm getting tired of working on this car and just start dumping stuff together and just knocking and hammering things in. He had to give attention screw by screw, joint by joint, bolt by bolt. So you know what God does with us when he restores us? He says, all right, I redeemed you, but now I want to restore you. And so in the restoration, I need to work on you point by point. Let's start with appetite. Let's start here next. 
Let's start here next. But in the end, when God is done, he restores a complete product the way that it was originally made by the manufacturer. And this is what God wants to do with every single one of us, my brothers and sisters. And so please understand, as we close right here, the Lord Jesus Christ says, I'm not through with you yet. Jesus knows that there's a lot of suffering in our world. And we have an opportunity to overcome this suffering. But what Jesus is saying to yours and my heart is he's saying, listen, I don't want to just redeem you. I want to restore you. I want to turn you back into the original product of what I designed from the beginning of time. And in order for that to happen, God is going to give attention to the details. And he's going to restore us point by point and piece by piece. And the first area he wants to start is with the thing that got us into trouble, appetite. Sin came into our world through appetite. And God is saying to us, I'm going to restore you. But one of the first things we're going to have to work on is that appetite. And he's not doing it again. He's not doing this to say, congratulations, now you eat healthy, now you're a saint. That's not the point. It's a much deeper point. And the point is learning to cooperate with God. And so there's one appeal that I have. What's the one thing this week that you're going to work on? What is the area in your appetite that you know? I'm not dealing with what you don't know. I'm dealing with what you know. Almost all of us know cheating. We know like, oh, I'm cheating. I'm going to go ahead and indulge in this or indulge in that, um, you know, or what have you. What, what is the point of appetite in your life that you know, I know this is not good for me. I know this doesn't produce good blood. I know this doesn't feed my brain well. I know this doesn't help. The best foods that God gave to humanity was the ones that come from a root system. Maybe there's some of you in this room that you're not even there yet. So maybe you'll say, you know what, for this next week, I'm going to try to make one change in my diet that's going to help build my body up stronger, help my mind to be clearer, and better enable me to hear that still small voice that loves to speak to us. I want you to think about one thing this week that you can do. If, you're an indulge, if you indulge in sugar, maybe that's one thing this week. You can say, I'm going to pull back on that. Maybe some of us have such uncontrolled appetites, we eat at very late hours. So now you're going to say, you know what? I'm going to have this cutoff time, and I'm not going to eat past that time, and I'm going to give my digestive system a rest. You think about it. But I want us to really start understanding the restoration process requires us to pay attention to the details. And as a result of that, as we cooperate with God, I guarantee you, the more we control our appetites, you're going to find we're in a better position to decrease the pain that is renewed in Christ's heart on a regular basis throughout our world. Question, how many of us understood our study? Do we understand the study? If you're willing to cooperate with God, if you're willing to say there's one thing by the grace of God that I want to make change in my life, please stand to your feet with me. I want to pray for you, and I want you to know that God is with us. And I thank God he got us through it, technical difficulties and all. The Lord still blessed, and his point got across to our hearts, and I'm thankful for that. Let's praise him and thank him for that. Father in heaven, we thank you, dear God, that even in the midst of all these challenges, you still were able to bring the message together to get to the point. Lord, there's a great work you want to do, not merely in redeeming us, but restoring your image in us. 
And Lord, as we see the devil attacking minds the world over, this is not only a message for us, this is a message for us to give to the world. But Lord, we cannot give what we have not received. And so I pray, help us to receive Christ our righteousness in such a way that it does not just reflect in spiritual thought, but in daily practices. And I pray, Father, that one practice we do daily is we eat. And Lord, I'm praying that you'll help us to be more judicious, to be more careful, to be more mindful, and to remember that even in our eating and drinking, we are cooperating with you in the restoration process. And may not our will, but your will be done. Is our prayer we ask in Jesus' name. Let everyone say, Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.